Welcome to ACNL in Action, brought to you by the Association of California Nurse Leaders. I'm your host, Charlene Platon, and this is the podcast for anyone who wants to learn more about nursing, leadership, and everything in between. Today, we have the honor of introducing two special guests for the podcast, Dr. Anitra Williams, DNP, PHN, CCRN, and Dr. Sharon Goldfarb, DNP, RN, FNP, BC. Dr. Anitra Williams is Director of Nursing Operations at Dignity Health St. Joseph's Medical Center in Stockton, California. In this role, Dr. Williams has been integral in launching anti-human trafficking initiatives, and she serves as the chair of the Human Trafficking Task Force in the organization. She also currently serves as the co-lead for the hospital's COVID-19 response plan and has facilitated two mass vaccination sites in the area. In addition, Dr. Williams co-founded the HOPE program, H-O-P-E, where, where 24 incumbent workers just graduated from the ADN program this past May. Dr. Williams is also an active member of ACNL, and she joined the organization in 2010 and served as ACNL's president in 2020. Dr. Sharon Goldfarb is president of the California Organization of Associate Degree Nursing, C-A-O-D-N, and she's taught at several colleges and universities in California. She currently teaches at Toro University, and she also maintains a clinical practice focusing on health equity and community health. Her interest in health equity has led her to work at a methadone maintenance center in Harlem, a mobile medical van for the unhoused and undocumented, and to serve as the medical director for the stand down event in Contra Costa County a four-day event where veterans receive medical and dental care, as well as mental health counseling and other services. Dr. Goldfarb is also an active member of ACNL and has been in the organization since 2017. Welcome, Anitra and Sharon. It's wonderful to have you both here today. We're so delighted for inviting us. Absolutely. And I'm just so honored to interview you both. I've worked with you both within ACNL, and it's been amazing to see the progress and the initiatives that you've all worked on. So I'm really, really, you know, we're, I think we're really fortunate to have you both on the podcast today to talk about a really significant topic, and that is diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare. And so with the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen health inequity brought to the forefront of public health. And, you know, with so many challenges surrounding racism and racial injustice, the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion has really taken center stage. And I just want to start with the foundation of the terms. And so with the terms diversity, equity, and inclusion, we might hear these used interchangeably, but could you tell us what each of these terms might mean? Okay, so when we think of diversity, first of all, I'd like to say that while they're used interchangeably, they definitely are not the same and they don't mean the same thing. And so I think that for any of us who may think that these uh, terms are synonymous for each other, I think we're mistaken. So diversity is the presence of differences within a given setting. And I think it's fair to say that for most of us, whether we're in academia or we're on the acute care side, or even in rural settings, there may be diversity, meaning you'll see representation 
male, female, possibly different ethnic groups, religious groups, sexual orientations, et cetera. So that would be that diversity piece. But when it comes to equity, that's when it starts getting deeper. Equity is the process of us ensuring that our processes and programs are impartial and that they're going to provide the same possible outcomes for every individual regarding, regardless of their sexual orientation or their race or gender. And so I think that that, that, that definitely requires um, some thoughtfulness any organization. It also requires some monitoring, some exposing of old practices and, and review, careful review and thoughtful review of their current um, hiring practices and, and any policies and procedures that they may have. And when it comes to the, the inclusion piece, well, your, your employees, your staff, your students, people have to feel like they belong. So what are you doing as an organization to make sure that that transgender employee or student feels welcomed in every space or, you know, the bisexual, you know, employee or student doesn't feel judged or they feel like they also have space or a place, you know, in your organization. So you can see that the E and the I, it actually takes a lot of work and it would take organizations and the leaders of organizations to be very thoughtful and aware of where they are and and, and it would require that they actually start implementing processes and bringing some of these diverse individuals to the table to help rebuild and revamp some of the policies and procedures that we have. And at least that's my take on, on DEI, but I, I sometimes find myself offended when, when people try to lump them and, and use the terms interchangeably without really understanding what each word and term actually means. Um, and so that Sharon, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are. I think you said it beautifully. And one of the things that really stood out of what you said is about equity, you know, really challenges us to make sure that we get the same outcomes. And that means the same outcomes for the nursing workforce. That means the same outcomes for patient care. And I have heard a term being used a lot more now called JEDI, which is justice equity diversity and inclusion. And I think we need to put on that lens of justice because, you know, if we have two patients with high blood pressure, yes, we see that the African-American patient gets less, less good care. But I think we have to even pull the camera back and say like, let's look at redlining and let's look at implicit bias and the stress of racism that puts someone at higher risk for having high blood pressure, not just when they land in the healthcare system itself. So we really need to add justice to that piece. Yes, I thank you so much, Sharon. I think that's great. And I do think that that really reminds the the people using the terms to understand that there is that component of justice that needs to be included in, in the terminology as well. And Anitra, did you want to add anything as well to that? No, I think that that's important, what, what Sharon shared, the JEDI. I like that. It's an easy way to remember it, but I think sometimes we we often forget that that there actually is disparate treatment in healthcare. And and sometimes that is a result of implicit bias. And so I think she she really touched on some important some important factors there. Right. And I completely agree and and thank you Sharon for bringing that to light as well because that that is something a lot of people may not 
think about or realize is when, when it comes to practice, how that actually looks like. And I, I wanted to say when it comes to, you know, when it comes to California in particular, people may think about California and they may think about diversity. I think in many ways, people, people think that California is synonymous with diversity. And when it comes to nursing, they may look at reports for demographics data for nurses and say something like, there are a lot of people of color who are represented in California's workforce for nursing. I think that the most recent reports that we have say that people of color make up to 60% of the nursing workforce. And some might look at that and say, isn't that enough? Isn't it enough to have diversity represented? And with that in mind, I just wanted to hear from you both in terms of what you think about that and why is it important to have equity and inclusion in it in addition to diversity? Well, I would push back a little bit on, you know, well, 60% of nurses in the workforce is, is a very broad stroke. And I think if you look at how many nurses of color are in leadership, how many are deans, how many are CNOs, how many get promoted, how many students of color in nursing programs get, get flunked out. I think you would see some really pretty ugly disparities. I mean, they have even done research, like you see more diversity at the associate degree level, but once you're teaching PhD students, there are almost no faculty of color at that level. So I think just having one number as a broad stroke really doesn't go deeply enough. And I would have to echo um, Sharon's sentiments there. And I would like to just share a personal example The facility that I work at was founded in 1899. We're located in the Central Valley, which is a very diverse community. We are primarily, our population, our largest population group um, is of Hispanic population. And we've got about 13%, so pretty close to what the U.S. representation is for African-Americans. And to make long story short, in 2009 was the first time that we had a director, an African-American director or a director of color promote. So again, the people in the community that we're serving at this hospital are primarily Hispanic, African-American, Filipino-American. And for the first time in 2009, we had a Black director who was a male promote. And then I promoted in 2011 as the first Black female director. And since then, we have challenged our leadership, and we now have the first Vietnamese and first Filipino director promoting. So for me, being in leadership you know, for over a decade now, and just seeing what our boardroom looks like. And so to Sharon's point, there aren't necessarily, you know, well, that same director who promoted in 2009 actually became our first Black C-suite person. So he's now serving as the chief operating officer. And we're, this is a 21st century in a community that primarily takes care of people of color we just in 2009 started promoting people who look like the population that they're serving. So I really think that that while we have these broad stroke statistics, I think every organization has to do, has to do their due diligence to look at their leadership teams where decisions are being made at the top and make sure that there is fair representation. For the first time, we have an openly gay 
male director. And so I just, again, I love statistics, but I think that um, for those that are going to be listening to this podcast, for any executives that are listening to this podcast, I strongly encourage them to review the data that's available, but then take, look at it at a microscopic level, examine your own house, your own facility, and see where your opportunities are. And if you're in a position of power, what can you do to then pave the way and make things better so that you can start improving things within your organization? Because people need to see themselves represented. And when Michael, I'll share his name, when he became the first Black director, we literally had EDS workers crying, Hispanic people crying, Black people crying, saying, finally, and that inspired them to want to be and do more. And so, you know, I'll end there, but I I do hope that those listening to this call really examine their own organizations. And if they sit in a seat of power, that they really challenge themselves and the rest of the executives to start paving the way and, and possibly creating a pathway for for people of color to elevate. And I would just um, tie it in. We just, you know, had the Future of Nursing 2020-2030 report release saying that we need to really focus on social determinants of health. We need to focus on health equity. And if we look at statistics, you know, that California has more Native Americans than any other state in the United States. But the life expectancy for a you know, a Native American is 73 years old. And for, you know, most Californians, it's closer to the mid 80s. And there's one reservation where the life expectancy is for Native Americans is only 48 years old. We're Mm. second only to Haiti. So where are Native American nurses and doctors? And where are the people who are making decisions that will increase like the lifespan of Mm. where we see deficits? And so Maybe we're seeing more black nurses than we've seen, but we haven't really seen a change in some of the the statistics of you know how, the life expectancy, the outcomes, the you know the disease, the disease levels in different communities. And I think we really have to have those conversations and tie them together and get the health experts who match those demographics to be at the planning table so we can do better. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you both so much. And, and I do want to acknowledge that there, I mean, there was a lot of great insight and information that you all shared. And Anitra, I first want to, to mention what you what you were talking about, is really uh, talking about this glass ceiling, right, that exists when it comes to people of color, people who may be having difficulties facing these opportunities into upper management and organizations. And, you know, with the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, we actually refer to that as a bamboo ceiling. So a lot of these limitations for people of color, for women, you know, people of different groups and backgrounds to have these same opportunities as as others have had enjoyed. And so I think that's a really important concept to bring to to light is that these ceilings do exist for these different um, populations and that really could it really changes the the message that that the workforce gets when they don't see themselves being represented in these roles. You know, I, I know that leadership positions, especially there is a lot of room for improvement there in healthcare organizations and a lot of corporations within America. So so I really appreciate you bringing that to light. And and Sharon, thank you as well for for also 
for outlining the opportunities for other populations, other members within our American society that I think are often not really in the spotlight. So, so I just really wanted to appreciate you both for saying that. And, you know, I wanted to also mention when it comes to racial equity and, and gender equity, is there anything else you wanted to mention when it comes to the double glass ceiling that's faced for women of color and what they might experience in these organizations that they're in? Sharon, did you want to speak being a Jewish woman from your lens? Yeah, I'm totally happy to talk about some of that. I think, you know, like we're saying, you want to take a very holistic look at, at your organization. So, you know, I have had experiences you know, in academia where my supervisor was incredibly anti-Semitic and not a meeting would go by where there wasn't some sort of dig at my, at my Jewish, my Jewishness. And, you know, I remember, you know, getting a grant, a really prestigious grant. And this, this person who was my supervisor saying, we're going to turn down this grant. And I was like, why? Like, this is a grant that's going to really help our students. And he goes, you know, you Jews, all you think about is money. This is not an appropriate grant. And when I went to complain, the leadership, nobody wanted to speak to me. And Mm. it got to a point after like two years of this where it really, it just ate away at the core of me. But then, you know, with those lenses of what I've experienced, I, I use it to look outward and I sublimate. So when I switched schools and um, I was in leadership at another school, I took a look at the demographics of my student body and it was all white. And then I looked at the demographics of my faculty and they were all white. And the college leadership was really into like diversifying. Yes, let's get more diversity. Let's be more equitable. Let's get more students of color. And I was like, well, then we need more faculty of color. And so we did that. And then I worked very hard on recruiting. And then when I was assigned a hiring committee, every single person on the hiring committee was white. So I think when you look at those structures that just kind of there's like circle upon circle upon circle. And when I pushed back and said, how can I diversify with all white hiring committees? You know, we've seen the studies of the implicit bias and how you tend to choose people who look more like you. I was told, well, you know, we don't have that many black faculty and we don't want to ask them all the time. So let's not bother them. And I was like, I would much rather Mm -hmm. be transparent. And I went to every black faculty member I knew and said, I'm sorry if you're asked a lot, but this is an important issue. Would you join a hiring committee? And my second hiring committee was all faculty of color. And I think that's the kind of work we have to do. That's great, Sharon. And and thank you for sharing your personal experience too. And and what would you say, how can we encourage, you know, employees, members of our organizations who might be facing these challenges? How could we, how would you encourage them to bring up these issues or, or what can they do? Since I think that's really powerful um, what you were able to do and the changes you were able to make. Any advice that you would give to, to people who might find themselves in similar situations? Well, I think, you know, I don't want to put the onus on the victim, right? I really think that the work has to be done at the level of the people who are being oppressive or ha- are using implicit bias. It's time we all like wear the glasses where we're looking is the work, who we are and what we're doing is that fair, is that equitable? And I mean, I do it to myself too. I remember this was several years ago because my kids are grown now, but I took them to see You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, the musical. And I remember when Charlie Brown walked out on stage, he was black. 
And my gut reaction was like, Charlie Brown is not supposed to be black. Like, this is going to be a terrible show because, of course, Charlie Brown is white. And then mm -hmm. I... I saw this incredible performance. This guy could sing and dance and was Charlie Brown in my eyes before you knew it. And I like took stock and I realized that initial gut reaction of mine was a racist gut reaction. And I think we have to, we have to realize that we do things that make people uncomfortable all the time. And it's not that anyone's gonna be perfect. It's more having a space of psychological safety, a growth mindset, safe spaces to discuss this. And then if you are a person who's struggling in school or in the workforce, I would try to, you know, use your pain as a motivation for change. And who can you talk to? And how can, how, what's the solution for your experience? And how can we make that happen? And, uh, you know, looking for resources and support, because this is a huge, huge battle. And I mean, what we've learned from Black Lives Matter and all the lives lost is just such a painful tragedy that we all really have to work to change this culture. But I just would like to add as, as well, so I appreciate what Sharon shared. I agree wholeheartedly that it starts at the top. And this is mm -hmm. this topic, DEI makes most people uncomfortable. And we have to ask why. Does it make them uncomfortable? And Sharon also touched on structures and the reality is for nursing and just the founding of our country, America, it's all rooted in white supremacy. And I think you have to understand your past in order to move forward. And you also have to acknowledge that. So we're talking about nursing. Nursing also has a rich history rooted in white supremacy where mm -hmm. nurses of color weren't even allowed entry into schools. And this wasn't hundreds of years ago. And so I think for us as nurses, I think we need to recognize that. I think we are change makers and all of us, we are in positions where we can challenge our current status quo and we can be change makers and say, hey, why aren't we addressing DEI in this organization? So I really feel like we need to be um, noise makers and get into some good trouble and challenge our leadership teams to do something about this. If, if this is DEI is on the strategic plan, but it's way at the bottom, we can't keep kicking this can down the road because it, it's, it's hurting us and what it's, it's, it's hurting our patients. The outcomes that Sharon's talking about are different. There are care providers who are, you know, possibly unaware because of implicit bias, but they are ordering different treatment plans for people based on color or judging them before they even start to examine them because of the color of their skin. So I don't think that this is a topic that we can continue to ignore. And for mm -hmm. any employee or student who's out there that doesn't feel like they have a voice, I do encourage them to go to someone who possibly looks like them to try to schedule time in a meeting to share some of their concerns in the hopes that this person can point them in the right direction and help shepherd them through whatever process they're trying to get, get through. So I do encourage people, now is not the time to be silent. Now is the time to be noisy. And now is the time to get into good trouble. And I just applaud ACNL 
for being a forward thinking organization, for being fearless and willing to get out there because we represent the nurses in California and say, now is the time for us to start changing. And they are being a change agents, agent. So ACNL is being a change agent and actually trying to do something about DEI. And I'm just proud to be a part of this organization. ACNL is a bold organization. And I was, just at, mm-hmm. I was just at a meeting earlier today. And it's interesting because for about the last 10 years, when I go to a nursing education conference, I see these simulation mannequins. And I always say to the people, how come your simulation mannequins are all white? And one person mm-hmm. actually said to me, well, we've tried to do skin of color and you can't get the texture right. So we're sticking mm-hmm. with white. I don't know if that was like a true answer or he was trying to just pacify me. And recently Lairdahl has decided to do some diversity equity on simulation and they had a meeting all scheduled and they actually pulled the meeting because they realized none of their mannequins were of color and they better change their mannequins before they have this meeting. So I think mm-hmm. this is what we do. Like I I went to a lecture the other day, like common rashes. Every photograph was a person, a white person. Now, granted, like a lot of rashes, can you can see them better on white skin, but you have to at least have the conversation of like, this is chicken pox is easy to see on white skin with the red dots, but this is what it looks like and feels mm-hmm. like on skin of color. Like it just has to be part of the conversation we have at every step of the way. And we're just not there yet. Absolutely. And I do want to acknowledge too, I think it's great that there's just so much rich insights that you're both sharing. And and I do want to add to um, what Anitra was mentioning in terms of, you know, the nursing, the history of nursing in, in this country. And and I think that what's great about nursing in general is that nurses really do have this ability to, to challenge best practices, to challenge the status quo. And I think that we could really translate that to initiatives surrounding DEI. And just like you were mentioning, Sharon, with, with the mannequins, I mean, I think a lot of people wouldn't have even thought about that. I know that, that when I was in nursing school, a lot of the mannequins were, were white mannequins and, and that was something that was you know, generally accepted. So I think that nurses could really take this curiosity, take this, this hat that they wear in terms of, of challenging best practice, challenging the status quo to really put that hat on for when it comes to DEI practices as well. I think that would really bring up a lot of changes as, just in terms of what's happening in, in actual practice and what could be done at least to start those conversations. Um, but yeah. I also... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I think these are these are the conversations I want to have. And with, and this is the group I want to address. Like, I love Florence Nightingale. I've read her notes on nursing. I have a big like stand up Florence Nightingale. But she was racist and she yeah. turned away mm-hmm. Mary Seacall in the Crimea War. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, we have to, like, acknowledge the good and the bad with even our nursing heroes because we can learn from them and do better. Absolutely. I think I just would underscore and emphasize that we first have to be willing in nursing. I'm speaking for nursing. We first have to be willing to acknowledge our roots and we have to acknowledge the systems and structures that were built on on white supremacy. And we have to then challenge ourselves. How can we do better? And where we sit, what are things that we can do to improve, you know, 
our current processes with the hopes of improving patient care outcomes. Because if we don't start teaching more on implicit bias and DEI and getting our nurses and our other healthcare providers to be more aware of self and acknowledge their own biases, we will continue to miss the mark and we will continue, you know, causing harm to our patients that we're treating. And I would mm-hmm. also add that we, we need to have the vision of where we need to go and what this will look like when, we, when we've addressed it and really to take on the structural racism, like yes. implicit mm-hmm. bias for each of us, yes, and the structural systems are very big too. There's definitely a lot of work to be done. And, and I do want to say too, back to what you were saying, Anitra, about ACNL, I do also want to applaud ACNL for the work that's been done, the representation they have in their leadership and the work that they're doing and continuing to do to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. And just to piggyback on that, I was wondering if, if either of you had any advice or any guidance for what organizations can do to continue to promote DEI, because I know that this is something that will continue to be, that we have to keep focusing on for, you know, forever, I would say. And I just want to hear from both of you, what would you recommend to organizations as they pursue this work and how can they really prioritize it? You know, there's this quote by Albert Einstein that if he had an an hour to solve a problem, he'd spend 59 minutes trying to come up with the question. And I do think like that is part of where we're doing. Like I do a lot of work on vaccine hesitancy with a campaign called This Is Our Shot. And, you know, there's this kind of, I think of it as victim blaming, myth-making speech about, well, Blacks aren't getting the COVID vaccine because of, you know, Tuskegee and how, how can we engage the Black community in getting vaccines? And I think when you look at the data of other vaccines, whether it's seasonal flu or MMRs or tetanus, blacks and whites have equity in in getting those vaccines. But when you look at how the vaccine has been rolled out, like drive-through clinics with communities that don't have cars or clinics that give vaccines Monday through Friday, nine to five, when people would lose wages, you know, at this very challenging time, to see that the structure may be more at fault than the patient, I think is an important kind of way to look at things. And and then you can address it better if you have the question. So I think every like nursing, you know, any nursing arena, whether it's an outpatient clinic or, or hospital or nursing programs or graduate nursing programs, we really need to say, what do we hope to accomplish? What's our vision? Where are we getting it wrong? And I love the quote, nothing about us without us. Let's talk to everyone and see what their opinion is. I think a lot of times the greatest mm-hmm. insights can become when we give oppressed people the space and the encouragement to speak. I think Sharon, she summed it up nicely. And I would say um, being Lean Six Sigma trained, to your point, Charlene, this is something that's ongoing. It's ongoing process improvement. And you start process improvement out by with a good question, first of all, what's the question that you're hoping to solve or answer? Then you also need to make sure that you're revisiting this, that it's not something you roll processes out and then it's like one and done. We've educated, we're done. Now we get to walk away and check the box. No, this is ongoing. It's going to require annual review of any processes that you're putting in place 
regarding DEI. It's also going to include in Lean Six Sigma, you bring the people to the table who actually do the work and you make sure you make, you have a concerted effort to make sure that you're bringing in people who see things differently. So from different lenses. So you want to make sure that you are then being very inclusive and making sure that when Sharon was sharing that your board or, or that your think tank room isn't all white, that there's fair representation because it's the people who have the ideas that are going to generate the solutions so that we can do better at the organizational level. And I'll take it back to ACNL. When I first joined ACNL, ACNL to me, in my opinion, was a very white space when I went to my first annual program in February of 2011. And I felt very uncomfortable. Now, Charlene, you and I have talked about this. It's not, my feelings aren't unique. My feelings were actually the feelings and perceptions of many people who first attended annual program. And I would say that ACNL recognized that and that they made a concerted effort to even start to try to change what their board makeup looked like. And I don't remember the exact year, but we had a year where we were diverse, not only in by race and gender, but we also aged. There was age diversity. It was a board that was built primarily males who were millennials, various sexual orientations. And I think for me, that was huge in, in my, my eyes because I saw the organization start to change. And now the organization has, you know, an African-American female CEO. So you can see ACNL making moves in the right direction. They're also challenging the way they've always done things and sort of disrupting old systems and structures that, again, were likely rooted in white supremacy and trying to infuse them with more inclusive foundation or, or embed some inclusivity there. So I just think that ACNL is, is trying to model the way. I think us as ACNL members have to continue challenging the leadership I think we also have to make sure that we're doing our part to recruit people from underserved or marginalized communities to join organizations like this so that their voice can be heard and their voice can be lifted. And then we take it to the school, the academia, and the acute care settings as well. So you have to be willing to speak up and you have to be willing to, just like I said, be the squeaky wheel and get in good trouble. And I'm doing that in my organization, by the way. So <laughs> I'll keep yeah. you updated on my progress. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much, Anitra. And I really resonate with that. I'm also a member of the, I'm also in the leadership for the Asian Pacific Islander Employee Resource Group at my organization. And I think there's just so many, it's great to see so many different ways that people have been involved. And, and I think that the, the recognition is incredibly important too on the organization's part. And I've been a member of ACNL since 2014, and I also have seen the great progress that has made. So I do want to thank you for acknowledging ACNL, and I do also applaud the organization for, for striving to make those changes. And I can't believe it's already, you know, been, been you know, so much time since we've talked. I feel like this is something that we could continue to talk about, and I would love to have you both back to talk about this would love to hear about your updates, Anitra and Sharon, as well for your what else, other initiatives that you're working on. And I just wanted to, to end with, you know, are there any last or final comments that both of you would like to share with our listeners in terms of DEI for healthcare, nursing, or in general? 
I just know for myself, like this is kind of the most crucial work I think I can be doing. So I hope people kind of join me in this work. And, you know, I'm very available to talk and help people and do more meetings. So I, I just did a big training for all the, the school nurses of Ohio and the allied health schools at Kaiser. So this is something I'm happy to keep talking about one-on-one -on -one or in big groups. Please let me know. Great. Thank and you so much, Sharon. Go ahead, Anitra. No, I just I just would like to commend Dr. Sharon Goldfarb on all the work that she's doing and that she continues to do around um, this, um, particularly the health equity work. I also believe I've sort of alluded to it, but Sharon, myself, and others are actually involved in creating some DEI content for ACNL, which will be presented in November during our foundations course. So we're really excited about that. And I would close by saying, for me, nurses, we have throughout history always been positioned to affect change. And I feel that this is no different. So whether we're that bedside nurse, whether we're working in a jail system, whether we're in academia serving as adjunct faculty, our voice matters. And I feel like we have to speak up and say that this is important to us so that it becomes important to those sitting in the, in the boardroom. Great, thank you so much, Anitra. Thank you, Sharon. And to our listeners, where can we, where can our listeners go ahead and learn more about your work or where could they find you if they want to learn about the work that you're all doing? I think you're going to link to our LinkedIn pages. That's a really great place to kind of connect with me. Yes. And I would agree with that. And I would just, just say that I am very active right now with our, our COVID surge in my community. So I may be answering DMs or private messages on LinkedIn, but I'll definitely get to them. And anyone's welcome to email me at anitra.williams at commonspirit.org. Great. Thank you both so much. And as mentioned, we will provide a link in our show notes for both Dr. Anitra Williams and Dr. Sharon Goldfarb for their LinkedIn pages. And I do just want to say again, thank you both so much for sharing your insights, your expertise. This is an incredibly important topic. It's also one that's really near and dear to my heart. And I just really appreciate, you know, the conversation. There's there's just so much to acknowledge. And, and I want to say thank you both for the amazing work that you're doing. Thank and, you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. <laughs> Great, thank you. And we look forward to having more conversations. We really appreciate everyone's time and we'll have more information in the show notes. And again, this is ACNL in Action and our podcast will release new episodes on the first Friday of each month. So definitely stay tuned and thank you all again for tuning in.